Well, thank you, praise team, for leading us in our singing this morning. Church, we have an incredible staff assembled here. God has been so gracious to our church, and it is a privilege to serve and to be part of this church family. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, if you will. Matthew in chapter 6. First off, again, let me just say thank you for praying for uh, me and for our family, for your support. Uh, this week threw us a curveball with our chemo, my chemo treatment starting with the insurance stuff, but they've got that worked out. They tell me that I'm on the schedule for tomorrow morning. So we appreciate your prayers and uh, we are looking forward to starting the journey to a restored health. Amen? All right. Let me ask you a question. How would you rate your prayer life? How would you rate your prayer life? What markers would you use as you rate it? Is it length of prayer? Is it frequency of prayer? Is it prayer before every meal, even at restaurants? Is that what it is? Is it ratio between how many prayers you pray that are for yourself or for other people? Is it eloquence in public prayer? I mean, the truth is there are a lot of arbitrary measures when it comes to rating one's prayer life. Personally, I know very few people who would tell you that they have a great prayer life, that they're satisfied with it. In fact, I believe most professing Christians would actually admit they wish their prayer life was better. And when we look at the Gospels and we see that prayer was such an important part of Jesus's life, it makes sense that we would want a better prayer life. But the question is, what makes for a better prayer life? How do we even define better? And let's be honest, your definition of better might be different from your neighbor's definition of better. But even beyond that, actually what really matters is what King Jesus defines as better. What is a better prayer life? Now, while we'll be in Matthew's gospel today, what becomes clear when the two model prayers are compared is that Jesus isn't just giving us words to repeat. He's actually giving us a pattern for prayer. As Luke records the model prayer or the Lord's prayer, Jesus is responding to a question from his disciples asking him to teach them to pray. So even the disciples wanted a better prayer life. And while there's nothing wrong with simply repeating the words of the Lord's Prayer, because we've all done it, we've done it in church context, we've done it in athletic context, maybe we've done it in our families, it's actually more important that we're praying that prayer from a humble heart that loves God. Because what Jesus is doing is giving us a unifying agenda when it comes to how we might pray. He wants his followers, he wants you and me to recognize how big and glorious God is. And he wants us to understand the implications of the gospel, what he has done and how that affects us and changes us. He wants his followers, he wants you and he wants me to be concerned primarily about his kingdom and his glory and his will and to seek to live for him, to trust him and to seek holiness. As we enter 2023, as Pastor Tim mentioned earlier, our 12-month focus concerns making disciples whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus. 
That's our prayer. That's our focus for the year, that we would be people who are devoted to King Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at the prayer of someone whose heart is devoted to King Jesus. And next week, as we start a preaching series through 1 Samuel, we're going to be identifying traits of people whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus. We'll be in this I'll talk more about the plan next week, but we're going to be in 1 Samuel, and we're going to be looking at traits. Okay, what does someone look like whose heart is devoted to King Jesus? But let me just say this from the very beginning. What we won't see is sinless perfection. We won't see someone who is moved beyond any kind of a struggle with sin. We won't see that, not even close. But what we will see from people whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus is repentance and humility. We'll see submission and we'll see a desire to follow God's word. We'll see integrity and steadfastness and we'll see spirit-filled contentment among other things. So let's turn our attention to the text. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 15 and reading through verse 15. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Will you pray with me? Father, we are here because we want to hear from you. We want your spirit to speak this morning to us, and we want to be transformed. And Lord, as we enter into this year, and as we seek to be disciples whose hearts are devoted to you, God, we ask for your grace, and we pray that your spirit would move amongst us, and in us, and through us, and change us for your glory. And for our good, we pray these things. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, when we consider the prayer of someone whose heart is devoted to King Jesus, the first thing we see is they pray to an audience of one. They pray to an audience of one. Jesus assumes that his followers will pray. That's why he begins in verse 5 by saying, when you pray. But the problem then, and the problem that is still alive today is that too often we are not praying to an audience of one. We see this here in the context. Jesus is rebuking the the self-righteous Pharisees, those who wanted the positions of power, those who wanted to be seen as something they were not, and he's telling them, listen, this is an issue. Don't pray on your own. Don't pray when you're out there in the streets and don't draw attention to yourself in these context. This does not work. The problem here is hypocrisy. 
The people were not praying only to God, they were praying to others so they could be seen and heard by others, so they could manage their image in front of others. And Jesus calls this hypocrisy. And when it comes to prayer, the hypocrisy is that these people, in this instance specifically it's the self-righteous Pharisees, wanted to be seen as more spiritual than they were. They wanted people to look at them and say, wow, look how wonderful you are. You must be so close to God. Listen to the words that they're using. Listen to the expressions that you're saying. Look at all the things that surround you and you are special. You're wonderful and we should be as you are. Unfortunately, friends, People can pray polished prayers from hearts that are not passionately devoted to God's glory. And it happens all the time. When Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father, he's not saying that it's wrong to pray in public or anywhere else than your closet or your room for that matter. But he is saying that we are to pray to God alone. We are to pray to an audience of one. And when our hearts are devoted to God and we are not hypocrites, then God hears our prayers and he responds according to his will. Friends, it is the attitude of the heart that matters when we pray. It's the attitude of our heart. Are we humbly devoted to the Lord? Are we drawing near to him in sincerity or are we concerning ourselves with what others think about us? In James chapter four, verse six, we read that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who recognize God's greatness and who understand their own sinfulness. He gives grace to those who recognize God's great worth and their own unworthiness. He gives grace to those who desire his glory and not their own glory. We pray to an audience of one. We pray to the creator, to the God of the universe, we pray to an audience of one. But secondly, when we consider the prayer of someone whose heart is devoted to King Jesus, we see that they pray thoughtful prayers. They pray thoughtful prayers. In verse seven, Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many Words. Now, that term Gentiles there stands in the context for everyone who is outside of a covenant relationship with the one true and living God, okay? So he's saying, don't pray like them. Don't pray like people who don't know God. Don't pray like people who aren't connected to God. Don't pray like the pagans. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't pray like them. Why? Because they just heap up empty phrases. See, Jesus here is talking about empty, thoughtless prayers. Jesus is saying that the ritualized mechanical prayers that include these empty phrases, literally thoughtless chatter, they're just heaping them up to their gods, but they're not acceptable prayers. These are not prayers that should come from those whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus, right? These people, these people who are emptying up these, throwing up this chatter, this thoughtless prayer, they didn't know if their God would hear. They didn't know if their gods would respond. So they just did anything they could to kind of try to cajole their God into hearing and listening and, and acting. They believed that their chances of their God's hearing depended on a certain length of prayer, a certain duration of prayer, or using certain words or using certain phrases in certain orders. And, and this would get their God, God's attention. I think of uh, the prophet Elijah on the 
top of Mount Carmel when he meets with uh, the prophets of Baal. First Kings chapter 18. And there's a showdown there. You'll recall there's a prophets of Baal and there's Elijah. And he says, look, the one true and living God, you gotta choose. Are you gonna serve this God, the false God? Are you gonna choose the one true and living God? And this is how we're gonna know who's true God. So they devise this plan where Elijah says, look, the God who answers by fire, he's the true God. So the prophets of Baal, they get their sacrifice ready, their altar ready, and, and then they start praying, and it goes on and on and on for hours because they, their God's not listening, their God's not responding, and they cut themselves, and they go through all these rituals. They're throwing up empty chatter to nothing because their God, Baal, is not a real God. But then Elijah prays, and God responds immediately with fire and burns up the altar. We don't pray thoughtless prayers. And while we probably won't witness something like we, what happened there on Mount Carmel, thoughtless prayers are too common today. And we can be guilty of praying them. Just think about the words or the phrases that we oftentimes pray out of habit. Even using filler words that may try to make us sound more spiritual. I think about a previous church that I was pastoring at in South Carolina and there was a man there and, and I love this man. He was a great guy. But his favorite term when he prayed was dear Lord. Okay, So just about every sentence he prayed it started with dear Lord and it ended with dear Lord and oftentimes there was dear Lords mixed in in between. Dear Lord, we thank you for this, dear Lord. We thank you for this day, dear Lord. You're wonderful. You're, 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 you've blessed us, dear Lord. I mean, over and over again throughout his prayer. Is that wrong? Let me just say, it can tend towards empty chatter or thoughtless prayers. And if you take time to consider what I mean, you probably can fill in the blanks. Think about how you pray before meals. Think about how you pray before bedtime. Think about how you... Do prayers of confession. Friends, we can all have tendencies to use phrases like bless those less fortunate than us or put a hedge of protection around someone or bless the food and our bodies to your service or forgive our many sins or be with him or her in a special way. We can all do that, okay? Now hear me, there's nothing wrong with praying like that as long as you mean it in your heart, as long as it's coming from a heart that truly means it. But if it's just something you say because you've always heard it or it's a habit, then friends, it can lead to thoughtless prayer or empty chatter. And I don't think people have bad intentions when they do this because we get stuck in a rut. But such prayers can be thoughtless. Thoughtless prayers, friends, Jesus is telling us are offensive to God. Why? Because God knows what we need even before we ask. So we should just pray thoughtfully. You think to yourself, well, if God already knows, that's what Jesus says, then why even pray? And the answer is that God desires intimacy with us. And intimacy is built through relationship. And our praying is one way that we build intimacy and relationship with the one true and living God. And beyond that, it's a show that we are dependent on God, that we need God. And, frankly, that we want God. 
So it's at this point that Jesus gives us the model prayer. Now the model prayer begins with our response to God's greatness and then it continues with our petitions to him. So third, when we consider the prayer of someone who is devoted to King Jesus, we see that they pray recognizing their relationship. They pray recognizing their relationship. Now this is incredible, friends. Jesus teaches his disciples, he teaches us to pray our Father. Now, for the Jews at that time, this would have been an insane thing to begin a a prayer with. Yes, they understood that God is Father of all, but they never internalized that and applied it to themselves individually. And Jesus is saying to you, if you are in Christ, you pray, Abba, Father. You pray recognizing the relationship that exists, that the eternal God, the creator of the universe, has loved you and called you to himself and made the way through Jesus Christ for you to have relationship with him. And you now are invited to pray, Abba, I need you. You're uh, you're invited to come to him in personal relationship to the God who cares to the God who loves to the God who hears and it's not because of how great we are it's not like we can pray to God because you know we've passed the test and we've made the we've made enough significance enough fruitfulness in our life so now God says okay you can pray to me now because you've done enough no it doesn't have anything to do with us we bring nothing to the equation and God brings everything to the equation and then he says you're my child In fact, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, we're told that we have received relationship, that we have received the right to be called children of God. John chapter one. We are connected intimately to the God of the universe, to the creator of the universe. So the model prayer begins with the reality of relationship that recognizing our sin we have no relationship with God but because of the work of Christ we have now friendship and we are sons and daughters of God we have an incredible opportunity fourth when we consider the prayer of someone whose heart is devoted to King Jesus we see they pray understanding God's worth they pray understanding God's worth right we hallowed be your name we hallow God's name this is to understand his holiness, is to understand his perfect character, is to understand uh, who he is and then to exalt him because of it. We understand he is holy. We understand he is set apart. We take the posture of bowing down before him, of seeking his glory, of honoring his name, of worshiping him. The heart that is devoted to God recognizes God's worth and desires God's ways And friends, hear this. In our society, in our culture, it's easy to say, oh, I love God. But hear me. No one will know or love God unless they know and love Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There is no devotion to the one true and living God unless we are in in Christ. Unless we are devoted to King Jesus. The next we consider the prayer of someone whose heart is devoted to King Jesus. We see they pray desiring God's will, right? To pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done is to ask God for his rule and his authority in our lives, but not just our lives, in all of life. We're asking God to move. We're asking God to reign. We're asking God to send forth his righteousness 
everywhere. Essentially, we're asking God for Jesus' return. But short of that, we're recognizing that with Jesus' first coming, that Jesus has already brought the kingdom with him. And while not fully realized yet, we're asking that his kingdom righteousness would cover the earth and would cover our lives. I don't know, probably some 15 or 20 years ago, uh, uh, Darlene Check, a name you're probably familiar with in terms of uh, Christian singing, came out with a song called This Kingdom. I was reminded of this song a few weeks ago as I was preparing this message. Listen to the lyrics, they're incredible. Jesus... God's righteousness revealed. The son of man, the son of God, his kingdom comes. Jesus, redemption sacrifice, now glorified, now justified, his kingdom comes. And his kingdom will know no end and his glory will know no bounds for the majesty and the power of this kingdom's king has come. And this kingdom's reign and this kingdom's rule and this kingdom's power and authority, Jesus God's righteousness revealed. Friends, we pray desiring God's will. And that means we want Jesus. That means we want his righteousness. We want his rule. And if we're to have a better prayer life, then friends, our prayers need to be kingdom focused, desiring God's will in every way. Not only in our lives, but everywhere. Theologian D.A. Carson suggests that this implies commitment to studying God's word, to know his will. And then I would add that a desire for God's kingdom and God's will means that we will pray according to scriptures over our lives and over all of life. Because we know what the constant danger is. In our sin, it's easy to want our own way. It's easy to prioritize our own will, to elevate our desires over God's desire. It's easy to functionally pray, Lord, not your will, but my will be done. Lord, may my kingdom come. Lord, may my will be done. And we would never be so as bold to say that out loud, but too often in in our sinfulness, we think that. Maybe even wanting that. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Sixth, we see that when we consider the prayer of someone whose heart is devoted to King Jesus, they pray trusting in God's provision. They pray trusting in God's provision. So we need to understand this idea here of daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread as pointing to physical needs, right? Jesus is calling us to trust God daily, to depend on him daily. Theologian John Stott writes, Jesus wanted his followers to be conscious of day-to-day dependence. So then, to pray for our daily bread is to understand that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heaven with whom there is no shadow of turning. It's to recognize that while we do play a part in this life, God is the source of blessing. God is the source of our provision in all things. And the fact that he calls us to pray for daily bread means that we need to understand the concept of contentment. Daily bread. In New Testament times, most people lived day to day. They didn't have 
money locked up for months or years like so many of us do, right? They live day to day. God, I need provision today. I need grace today. I need food today. I need shelter today. So they were looking daily. A daily dependence on King Jesus. That's the bigger picture here. That we, though we... Though we have food in our fridges for weeks and in our pantries for weeks, would have an attitude that we are depending on God's grace today. That we're looking to him today. We need to learn contentment, friends. We need to learn to depend on God daily. I'm going to just say something. The fact that so many people in this room are in debt is a sign that we are not content people. The fact that so many people in this room are living in debt is a sign that we are not content people because we gotta have it, we gotta have it right now, even things we don't need. It's also a sign that we're not trusting God to provide for us. We're not trusting that God will give us what we need. And we go a step further, and I understand we have met an incredible goal, some, I don't know where we stand today, 228,000 or, or whatever when it comes to our mission goal, which is an incredible feat. It's, it's amazing sign of God's grace. But some people in this room need to hear what I'm about to say. The fact that in terms of percentage of our income, what we keep and what we give away to kingdom-minded initiatives, that we give so little away means that we aren't content. It means that we have to keep it for ourselves because we gotta have enough. We gotta keep up with the next person or we gotta have the next thing or whatever it is. But friends, let's be people who are content. Let's be people who are trusting God for today's provision and not trusting in ourselves. Next, when we consider the prayer of someone whose heart is devoted to King Jesus, we see they pray knowing their need for grace. Know your need for grace. The one whose heart is devoted to King Jesus understands his or her spiritual bankruptcy. That We don't bring anything to the table that earns our way to God. No, we're sinners. We fail every day in our thoughts, in our action, our attitude, in our daily speech. And sin is likened to a debt that has to be paid and the debt is owed to the one true and living God. Now, friends, if we are in Christ, Jesus paid our debt at the cross. Amen? However, sin is hinders our daily experience of fellowship with God. So we need cleansing and we need assurance of his grace. So we ask for it. Lord, forgive us our debts. We ask for it. And 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? We, we keep connected to God through our confession of sin and, and we are assured then of his grace and of his forgiveness. Now, the mention of forgiving others is elaborated on in verses 14 and 15, which frankly are tough, is a tough passage. Because if you read it, it's as if it's conditioned. God's forgiveness of our sin is conditioned on our willingness to forgive others' sin. D.A. Carson explains on verses 14 and 15, these verses certainly don't mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. It is rather that God forgives only the penitent and that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. Like, this, like the uh, parable that Jesus told of the unforgiving uh, steward, right? This, this man owes the master an incredible debt that he could never repay, ever. 
and the master forgives him. And then he sees his friend who owes him a measly sum, a small debt, especially in comparison to that one. And he says, you have to pay me. I'm going to throw you in jail. I'm going to beat you until you're able to pay me. And at the end of the day, the picture is, look, you've been forgiven so much, you should forgive. But because you wouldn't, there is nothing for you. Friends, when we understand the, the, the debt that has been forgiven us through the payment of Jesus Christ in his perfect life, his substitutionary sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we will be people who offer forgiveness freely, who offer grace freely. So those whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus will know their need for grace and be gracious people. Finally, when we consider the prayer of someone whose heart is devoted to King Jesus, we see they pray with a desire to live in holiness. So Jesus here instructs us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we might think this is a strange request because God's word clearly tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 13 that God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. On the other hand, it's very clear that God allows and even brings circumstances into our lives or potentially leads us into a setting where temptation may happen. Look no further than Jesus' own life. Remember, he's baptized in the Jordan River and coming up out of the, baptism, out of the water, uh, he is led to the wilderness. Who leads him to the wilderness? Who leads him? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness. And what happens in the wilderness? Jesus is tempted. Jesus fasts and Jesus is tempted. Is God tempting Jesus? God the Father tempted Jesus? No. Who's tempting Jesus? Satan. We understand that, right? Who led Jesus there? God. Why? God, in a sense, was testing Jesus. He was perfecting him in that sense. He was building in him character. He was building in him this battle, this, this battle to, to, against sin. Right? Jesus was perfect in every way. We know that. But it was in the setting that Jesus is being tested, that God is working in him. And the same is true in our lives, friends. God allows us to be tempted because it is in the battle against sin that we learn to depend on God's grace. But at its core, this petition is actually about living in holiness. It's about living for the glory of God. It's recognizing that we need God's grace so that we won't be overcome with sin and we can live a life that is pleasing to him. So let me ask you, how often do you pray to be kept from temptation and delivered from evil? How often do you pray to be kept from temptation and delivered from evil? Perhaps the reason that some of us struggle so much with sin is, at least in part, because we don't ask for help in this battle. We're not regularly confessing, God, we need you, we want to live a holy life, please keep us, care for us. Church, 
Will you this year join together in praying that God would make us people whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus? Would you join with your church family in praying that God would make us as a church and you individually a follower whose heart is devoted to King Jesus? Now I want to invite you back to church tonight. If you have kids who are in Kids praise or kids rock, you'll drop them off at 445 down the hall where you usually drop them off. And then at five o'clock, we're gonna be starting a, a corporate prayer service in this room. Now hear me say this. I know the Cowboys play this afternoon, okay? I'm asking you to come, to join us, to seek the Lord together. And then on Wednesday, we'll meet at 530 for dinner as we normally do. And then we'll spend time praying for various church ministries. We don't have the same prayer request. It's a different night tonight than it will be on Wednesday night. We want you to come. We want you to prioritize this and we want you to pray and seek the Lord. As we close this morning, if you have questions about how you can know the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, come and talk to us. If you have questions about baptism or joining this church, come and talk to us. If you would like for someone to pray with you, we would love to pray with you Come during the song of invitation. For most of us, my hope is that we will be praying that God would make our hearts devoted to him and that the words of this next song would be true words sung from your heart that God would have his way in us. Every part of us, will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Whatever comes our way, we trust you. You are good and merciful. May we be disciples whose hearts are devoted to our King, to King Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing?